0: Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. God's people are those who frequently and often look back to say thank you. There's nothing wrong with reflecting on a year and saying, God, thank you for, for the many blessings I received, for, for the hardships that shaped me into the person I am today. But above all else, we need to understand the Bible actually describes us. We remember, but we are always a forward-looking people. The Bible has always described God's people as those who are, who are looking for the promises of God to come. We are always oriented with our eyes looking past the moment into the future. This has always been the way from the call of Abraham. He was looking forward to the day when his son would come. He was looking forward to the land and we continue to count that cost and run with endurance just so that we can remember where we are in the book of Hebrews. We're, we're right in the middle of a section, right? The flow of Hebrews is with absolute symmetry. It's creating the beauty of the sacrifice of Christ in chapter 10. We can't forget what happened in chapter 10 before we get to chapter 11. It is the probably the, the climax of the book of Hebrews and the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I love this chapter. It's been rich for my soul. I want to encourage you, go read it today. As it builds the framework for chapter 11. The greatest fear of many pastors and local churches is that we would think forgiveness is just merely so that we might have our sins forgiven. The wrath atoned for. And that's why I love the, with the, the way that, that 10 and 11 kind of mirror themselves together. For it says Jesus is sufficient for the uh, sins and the atoning work necessary. But it does something. It reorientates the life of God's people. Faith isn't just clinging to God for forgiveness. Faith is saying, God, my life is yours. Use it how you see fit. Think about it. Chapter 10 with the symphony of theological deep truths reminds us of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Yet at the end, it says, do not give up enduring. By faith, remember that we are those who do not give up. See, as sinners, you are headed one direction. But in Christ, we are headed a different direction. And by faith, we need to know and believe the promises of God that sets the new course for our lives. So today, as we're taking inventory of our lives and our faith, may you ask this question. Does my life and do my choices say I'm living for the kingdom of God or my own? And at the end of the day, this is the question we should ask every morning. This is the question we should ask every night. Am I living for my kingdom or am I living for God's kingdom? Because every choice is moving one of two directions. In chapter 11, as we've already learned in months past, is a section of Hebrews, and it's not trying to define faith. It gave us some nuance and some beauty there at the beginning, but we've seen 18 examples of the demonstrations of what the life of faith look like. We've seen in the first several verses in 4 through 7, we've seen the beauty of the kind of pre-flood people who pleased God. And now we see in chapters 8 through 22 what we call the patriarchs of the Bible. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and even Joseph is mentioned here. These people after the flood. And so we're moving now from the faith of those who pleased God before the flood. And Hebrews is spending the next 15 verses on the faith of Abraham and his descendants. And he wants to teach us one crucial thing. Overarching truth that you need to understand. Faith is future oriented. That's the big overarching reality of these 15 verses. Our faith is future focused. It's something that has a gaze, not just to the moment, but it's always looking deeper down the timeline of history to the promises of God. And he does this in a variety of ways, which we will see. But first, look with me at the first three verses in 8 through 10 as we see this. Faith obeys God's words even when it's unsure of all the details. Faith obeys God's word even when it's unsure of all the details. Look with me at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. There it is. By faith he did what? Obeyed. But he obeyed what? The calling to go out to the place that he was to receive in his inheritance. But I love the next line. But he went out not knowing where he was going. Can you imagine being Abraham in the land of Ur? And God says, oh, Abraham, I've chosen you among all people to create a people. Leave. To the mountain to which I tell you to go. Okay. Where's that? I'll tell you. Just start going. I mean, we think about that. See, I think in American culture, we are so detail-oriented, we are so goal-driven sometimes, that we think that God has to give us every single thing out in place in order for us to take steps of faith. But right here in Hebrews, as he drives us to these patriarchs, he says, no, faith obeys God's word even when it's unsure of all the details. And the Bible, see, here's the interesting, the Bible never allows us to separate two key aspects, faith and obedience. Faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin that we constantly see tossed back and forth throughout Scripture. No matter the time frame you find yourself reading in Scripture, trusting is obeying. Trusting is obeying. I remember singing that song as a young man. Right? To trust and obey for there is what? No other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. There's a reason that song was written. Because the marching cry of Scripture is those who have faith are those who obey. They go together. From Genesis to Revelation, believing always leads to action. John Casey, in a monk of the fourth century, he tells a story of a young man and his master. He says this. He says, the young man had a master to whom he trusted completely. He trusted him so much that the master once took a dead, dried-up stick from the burn pile, shoved one into the ground, and told the young man, water this twice a day. No other explanation but just simply to water the dead, dried-up stick He shoved into the ground. This young man joyfully did so for months, walking a mile each way to fetch the water. What's interesting is that when this young man was asked, why did you do this task? He says, the wisdom of the command is not for me to know, but the power to carry out the command is in the one who gave it. I simply have the power to obey. Wow. What trust. He believes so much in his master that he says, I I don't know what the purpose always is in this right now. He told me to do, therefore I must do. Because the power to bring out the command is the one who gave the command. See, true faith is obeying God's word. Do not fool yourself. If you spent this year walking contrary to God's word, you did not have a year defined by faith. Not a moment but a lifestyle of obedience. Yes, there are times where we stumble. There are times where we probably step in a way unbecoming to God, dishonoring to Him. But is your life marked by obedience? It's like the cry of Hebrews here. He goes, if you want to endure, you can find no ability to endure apart from obedience. Faith and obedience are woven together in a beautiful tapestry in the scriptures. And here in Hebrews, we see Abraham is exemplified as one who obeyed God. And he wasn't even sure of all the details. Again, look there with me at verse 8. He says, he obeyed when when he was called. Without knowing from where he was going. By faith, he went into a land of promise and a foreign land living in tents. With Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that had its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We see Abraham display faith with an act of obedience to go without knowing the details. Think about this. He said, "Go to the beginning," and I'm not telling you where the end is yet. How do you how do you deal with that? As I'm a planner, I like to know the end before I take the first step. And yet the mantra, the ebb and flow of the story of redemption is God calling a people to say, "Trust me. Go." He never, in the record of Scripture, gives the full detail of everything he's going to do. And then he says, okay, now believe me, now go. He says, know who I am, Yahweh, God, maker of heaven and earth, the mountains and wealth. I'm the Lord of hosts. Go, do, obey. This is the stirring of faith we see in the book of Hebrews here. But what's interesting, and something that I do not want us to miss, is that he was called. He was called by God. See, no faith can be displayed where no call has been given. Faith is always casting ourselves wholly, completely on God's call. Yet there's a catch. I'm afraid in our modern day culture, faith is sometimes blindly leaping at something that simply feels right a relationship, a job opportunity, a move. I simply jump in faith, I've separated it from biblical wisdom in such a way that it's unprofitable. Faith and biblical wisdom go together. Faith is not blindly jumping wherever you feel like God may be telling you to do something. We must be careful that we do not make faith the catch-all phrase for doing whatever I feel or want. You know what I'm talking about. You've done it. I've done it. Well, I just, God's telling me to, to go and do this thing over here. I wouldn't do it. And I'm just using faith as the catch-all to do what I want to do, not obey God. I mean, God would be honored when I'm, when I'm doing this. And it's just, you're merely the desires of your own heart and you're using faith as an excuse to get away with what you want to do. This is not what we see patterned. He says, Abraham was called by God, told by God, commanded by God, and he obeyed. Our American culture, Of everyone having it, being an individual and everyone having a unique purpose has created the potential in a church of an unhealthy desire for a fresh vision, for a fresh word from God. Our American culture that so identifies itself with individualism and everyone being unique, you think you have to have your own personal word from God all the time. That is not biblical. Yes, there are times God communicates and speaks to. And gives us clarity and wisdom. But the overarching reality of the Bible is he's told all of us some key things to be involved in. It's almost like you're playing spin the bottle with God. Alright God, wherever it stops, that's where I'll go. Yes, there is something amazing when God confirms and reveals a very clear, specific path and area for you to walk in. But this is not the normal scripture. Do you understand? That's just so crucial for us to grasp. Because I think when we hear the word faith, there's this, there's this mentality in the Christian church sometimes that says, if I just feel it, then it must be from God. Be warned. Be careful. We need to understand that the Bible does not call everyone to just simply do as they feel. Instead, the Bible says this, be wise. Be holy. Think about that for a moment. You're, 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 by saying, God, I need a fresh word that you're looking for a holy moment, when God's instead called you to be a holy person. It's Two vastly different things. Oh, I need a holy moment, a mountaintop moment. No, God says, be holy. I've given you my righteousness. Walk every day, every decision, every thought, every captive. You're doing the world of the Lord every moment. Stop looking for a specific little vein which you have to channel yourself into. God has saved a church. And the purpose of the church is to advance Christ and his kingdom. This means we don't have to constantly be chasing those holy moments with God through a fresh word. Because we need to understand the scriptures have all called us to be holy people. People who live always for the glory of God. Understand this. Jesus very clearly in the Sermon on the Mount said this. Seek first what? My kingdom. And my righteousness. And I'll add all the rest that you need. So as you're taking inventory of 2021 and you're setting your priorities and your goals for 2022, are you literally asking God constantly, help me just to take your kingdom seriously? To advance the kingdom of God above all things. See, each of you has been given a command. You know what each and every one of you who are claiming to be in Christ, you've been given a command. Make disciples in 2022. We're playing games with God saying I've got to get a special word you've been told go make disciples do it we've got to stop sitting idly saying I have to get a specific word from God or a tap on my shoulder he's spoken All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And he has commanded his people go and make disciples. You know how I know that to be true? Your neighbor has every opportunity. Why? Because you're their neighbor. Those in your workplace, I can't reach, but you can. And obey by faith God's commands. Not knowing all the details. Go make disciples. Be a people who by faith obey even when you don't know all of the details, do not negate the call that we've all been given. Today, how are you making disciples in 2022? Pursue wisdom. Walk daily in the holiness that God has provided you. But actually, how, how, how does that give us strength, right, to do so? But we'll look a little bit further. Be like Abraham in the sense of by faith obey without having all the details. Look at verse 11 now as we introduce into a new character. See, faith is trusting not only when you don't have the details, but when it seems humanly impossible. Faith is trusting God's promise even when it seems humanly impossible. Verse 11 says that by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born two descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as numerable as the grains of sand of the seashore. This idea of trusting God's promises has been a theme in the book of Hebrews, and it's highlighted for us in this section in chapter 11. And just for clarity's sake, let me remind each of us that a promise is always what? Future-oriented. Future-oriented. This is so crucial. Why is this so crucial, though? Why is it so crucial that God's people remember our faith is a future-looking faith? Why? Think about it for a moment. I think if we were to look at the pulse of Scripture, it's because human characteristics is we live for a moment. I and mean, you could scroll Instagram, you could scroll TikTok and say, right, making moments. And there's nothing wrong with making moments, but we, by our, 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 our I feel some level our sinful flesh is we always want to live for the moment. And God says, No, we don't live for the moment. Be a people who live for what's coming in the distance. Nothing wrong with moments, but we don't live for the moment. There's moments worthy of celebration. There's moments worthy of remembering even according to Scripture. But this is so important because I am fearful that we've been brought into the lie that says my best life begins at this moment and I'm going to live it at all costs. There's nothing wrong with trips. There's nothing wrong with getting a better education. There's nothing wrong with a better paying job. But listen, if we really do believe all those things, my best life is in this moment... Wow. Sarah could not conceive a child. Barren is the word used in Scripture. But it says, By faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive. It's pretty interesting. If you've actually read Sarah, she doesn't seem like one who had a whole lot of faith. Right? Right? I mean, the first thing we really hear about her is that she convinces her husband to go and, and marry his, her handmaiden, right? Her, her, have a child through my, my, my maidservant. That's not faith. And then a little bit later we see scenes of her laughter when, when she's very old and, and she hears the angel of the Lord telling Abraham that in a year from now she will be having this child. You see, God delights to bless people even when their unbelief sometimes hinders them. Do not let the year of your unbelief define the moment for today, but instead look to the future. The God who continues to use broken people like us and like Sarah. But faith is our ability to move forward in the promises of God. God delights to bless His people with the strength in the present based on something He's going to do in the future. Faith is always expressed in the moment. Pay attention to this line. I've been trying to craft this idea in my mind, and and I feel like I failed, but I'm going to say it, and you can help me out with it. Faith is always expressed in the moment, but it never demands fulfillment in the moment. Does it make sense? Faith is always expressed in the moment. Right now, I'm walking in faith, but it never demands the fulfillment of the promise I'm believing in the moment. And this is crucial. This is the difference between the gospel and the prosperity gospel. This is the difference in saying the things that God's promised in the future, I claim and I make them happen now. No, that's not the way the Bible works. Faith is saying, God, I believe that's sweet and I want that and I desire that and that day is coming, but that gives me the strength to obey now because I'm looking to that end. Faith is displayed in the moment, but it doesn't man fulfillment in the moment. Again, Sarah is brought as a demonstration of faith that endures. Sarah had those moments of doubt. Demonstrated faith, though, because she trusted. I love the way it's phrased. Look there again with me at verse 11. She considered him faithful who had promised. She understood future generations of descendants were promised to her and her husband, Abraham. But do you realize she died before Isaac even got married? Wow. Wow. She's promised, the I mean, he says the same language here from Genesis, the stars of the sky and, and the amounts of sand on the seashore, but she never saw even her son get married. And yet it calls her one of faith, because she believed in the future-oriented promises of God. Faith does not demand to see the fulfillment of God's promises in the moment, but it trusts that God's timing is always perfect. Do you realize this though? Faith's primary way of displaying true faith is waiting. It's waiting. Faith's primary display is that of patient waiting. Waiting for the promised seed. Waiting for the truth. This spills into the next section that we see in verses 13 through 18 or 16. Look at them with me. It says these all died, speaking of Abraham and Sarah. Jacob and Isaac, having not received the promise, things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Verse 15 says, if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But it is that they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, faith is patiently waiting for God's timing, knowing your greatest need is future, and will be fulfilled in the future. This is hard because there is that the the balance of the language of Scripture that Jesus says, "If you pray and ask in my name, it shall be given unto you." Ask with faith, but yet we see language like this in Hebrews that says, "There's no such thing as demanding." Because that puts you as God. You are not God. You cannot demand Him to do something. But instead, by faith, we believe, we trust. And if God's will and God's timing is carried out, then we can walk in that. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But they patiently waited displaying that their faith was real. Because that they actually believed the ultimate fulfillment was outside of this world. And two things we can begin to understand from this section about faith that endures to the end: faith does not keep its uh, faith does not close its eyes on reality, but keeps its hope on the future. You ever heard that phrase, that you know you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good? It's a, kind of a catchphrase sometimes Christians use. I don't think that's what he's saying here, but he says we we have our eyes on reality, but our hope is settled in the future. God's people have a long range view of everything we do. Let me give you an example. January first, last year, one of the goals, one of the things that I felt like the, the, the scriptures and the spirit were encouraging me to do was to develop humility. It's one of those things you gotta be careful to pray for, right? Is humility. But I, I had I had the I had the knowledge that, that I'm forty two years old and I will not be humble in one year. But instead, personal growth, we have to have a long-range view. Faith doesn't mean like, uh, I've got joy and I can have it right now and I demand right now I have it. Faith is a long-range view of even personal growth. But I look back at the Josh from 38 and I'm not as prideful as I used to be. I'm not. Which is kind of funny because then it sounds like I'm being prideful and saying that. But the reality is, as I look over the time frame of my life, there is a different Josh now than there used to be seven years ago. A long-range view of my personal growth, that's faith being lived out and acted. Or church. Man, church, please be careful. There is no quick fix to reach the community. There is no quick fix. Church, fan a long-range view of God's purposes and design for us. We can be confident God has promised he will build his church, but by no means can we demand that he does so on our timing. Instead, I've heard it said from one pastor, he says, don't think you can do more in two years than God can accomplish in 15. Long range view. Faith has a long range view of how God works out his purposes. And I don't want you to deny that God can and at times does do something immediately wonderful and glorious. But slow growth and slow fulfillment is the pattern of Scripture. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is the pattern of Scripture. Slow, progressive, redemptive movement. We pray, we ask God to do glorious things, but we are future oriented with a long range view. For how we see things being carried out. These people displayed that for us in verse 16. It says they desired not something that was in the moment. They desired a better country. A better country, a heavenly one. Hebrews does not try to create a people who demand the now type of fulfillment that some modern day churches do. Be careful. Faith pleads asking God to do glorious things in accordance with this scripture, but we never demand now. We are those who patiently wait for the better promise of ultimate renewal one day. The author of Hebrews is continuing to tell us this is the case. That God desires us to know and to live as those who are strangers and exiles on the earth. And look at what he says there. I love this line. He says he's not ashamed to be called their God. Think about that. He literally says, "I'm not ashamed to be called that. That's my people, and I'm their God." For those who patiently wait, are you a patient waiter? Is God fulfilling His purposes and His characteristics in you, His people, or do you demand the immediacy of fulfillment for the promises? Be careful measure your prayers by scripture measure your timing by scripture's timing and here's why i believe the bible says it this way here's why i think the greater the distance between the promise and the fulfillment is the greater the character of the person has to be trusted I'll give you an example of what i mean by that if i were to tell one of my daughters hey in 6 months i'm going to get you blank right so for 6 months is the only amount of time i've got to carry out a character of someone who can fulfill that promise But if I stretch that time frame to a year, I have to have what? Greater character. Be more dependable. Trusted more. If I were to say, guys, when I die, I have to have even more character. I have to have even more steadfastness. I have to be even more trustworthy. And I think that one of the reasons God always creates distance between promise and fulfillment, and he does so with large portions of time, so that when we look and we're like, he is faithful, good, and true. There is no one like the character of our great God. And so that's a tool. If you're having a problem trusting his timing, you don't know the character of God. One of the ways to increase your ability to patiently wait is to know the character of God. For it is unshakable and unchanging. The character of the promise maker is magnified when the distance of the promise and the fulfillment are increased. So, brothers and sisters, know that faith that endures is not one that demands the immediacy of the fulfillment of Scripture, but patiently waits for God's timing so that He can be magnified and you can be changed in the process. Finally, look with me at 17 through 22. Last couple verses of this section of scripture. The patriarchs of the faith. We see here that faith counts the cost, even when faced with the reality of death. 17 through 22. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. We can keep reading in verse 20, it says, And by faith, Isaac invoked a future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed Each of the sons of Joseph, twenty-two by by faith. Joseph at the end of his life. What did you hear in each one? This idea of at the end of their life, death. All of them have this nuance of death and counting the cost and moving forward. I was reading an interview by Kay Strum. She's a New York kind of book writer who is doing some interviews of, of Christians across the globe. And she just wrote an article and what she would do, her, her goal is to go interview people in other countries to see what their Christian faith is like. And she just returned from India in 2021. She was interviewing many of the people in India about their Christian faith. And one of the things she would do, she would ask her a set of questions and then she would allow others to, the people there to ask them questions. And during her time, she was broken because the ladies that she was interviewing in India, she, she gave them an opportunity to ask questions here's some of the questions they would ask. Do you lose a meal because you have faith in Jesus? Kay was like, well, no, I don't. Have you lost your house because of your faith in Jesus? And she was like, well, no, I don't. The ladies that she was interviewing became, became, became very confused. Like, do people throw rocks at you because you have of your faith in Jesus when you walk down the street? And she's like, well, "No." And one lady with burn marks across the whole left side of her body says, "You mean people don't push you into fires because your faith in Jesus?" And Kay was like, "No. Our government has given us the ability to to do this." Without persecution. She said, There was a silence in the interview for a moment, and then one of them looked at her. She goes, But then how do you know if your faith is real if you never have to count the cost? Kay said, She broke down in that moment, and she said, Pray for the American church because I think the majority of them would walk away. Brothers and sisters, this last section here. Is to encourage you to count the cost. Even when faced with the reality of death. Verse 17 is one of the greatest displays of faith. Really in the Old Testament. The promised son. Isaac. Was told by God. Abraham go and sacrifice your son. And I love what it says here. By faith Abraham. When he was what? Tested. Abraham was tested. And you and I need to understand this. Every single Christian who is a genuine follower of Christ will have a season of testing of your faith. Every single one of you will. There will be a season of abundant blessing to see if you really love God or you just love His blessings. Or there will often be a season of hardship where obedience or counting the cost of following God will come to pass. It may be the death of someone for some of you. When your faith is tested. Do you really believe God is the God who resurrects? And one day, your loved one and you will experience that. Some of you experience the chronic physical ailment. And every day, you're like, God, you must not love me because I'm hurting again today. And your faith will be tested Or some of you will have that thorn in your flesh like Paul refers to in Corinthians that God never removes. Because why? His grace is sufficient. Why does God place us under the weight of testing? Why does God display that part of our faith and future-oriented realities is that He will test us? Because God believes that character is better than the riches of this world. God believes that steadfastness, as he says in James, is better than the riches of this world. God believes that virtue being birthed in God's people is better than being liked by those of this world. We are tested because God does this inward work in our faith through testing. God and his infinite wisdom. Dear family struggling with chronic illness, he is preparing you for an eternal healing that is better than 50 years of pain. God, in His infinite kindness, dear sister, who's struggling with the death of a loved one, God is preparing you for the eternal weight of glory. God is always preparing and making us for something greater than the moment. God is always moving our faith to count the cost and see eternity in the glories of that one day as we sang. The new Jerusalem. It is nothing is worth abandoning our faith because we see the beauty of that glory. Isaac was another portrait or illustration of the Old Testament. He literally says he was believed he would resurrect them. Figuratively he did. He was a portrait of Christ. Resurrection. And here's one of the things you knew, a very practical way. If you're struggling with a test, I think this is one of the one of the ways you can fan your faith is focus on the resurrection. When your faith is being tested, focus on the resurrection. Why the resurrection? Because it's the thing constantly in scripture that says the power of the resurrection is at work where? In us. Jesus, the resurrection, he is the what? First fruits of the things to come. It says he is waiting for all things to be made new. He is the declaration of God. I am about what I said I'm about. I'm going to bring all things new. So if you're struggling, if you feel like you're testing, focus in in your heart and mind on the fact that Christ is made Whole. And may it fan the faith of our own hearts to never give in, to never doubt. Not only that, but I love what Hebrews has done. Does anybody remember what Hebrews has described the resurrection as of who Jesus is now? It's his coronation. Hebrews has said Jesus' resurrection is his coronation. He has a king. We see in Revelation, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How do we know that to be true? Because he's not in the grave anymore. If you're going through testing, remember the resurrection. It's Christ's coronation. It's God's confirmation that he will bring about all things new one day. How beautiful. It's the truth that God teaches us to count the cost. That he says, I will give you grace, help, and strength to get you through the hard moments of life. And you know this to be true because I've risen from the grave. Again, we see in each of these four demonstrations of faith with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And I'd love to spend more time on each one. I'd encourage you to go read and ask this simple question. What is it that compelled them to do what the book says they did? Let's quickly look at just one of them. It says, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob believed something to be true. Even when he was dying, he was willing to, to bless the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Joseph, the same thing. At the end of his life, he, he knew there was something in the future that they would be rescued from this Egyptian land. And he says, take my bones back when you go. So one of the ways we can count the cost is to remember the resurrection so that our faith endures to the end. So as we close today, as you're taking an inventory over your year, That's gone by and looking forward to the coming year. Heed these words from Hebrews 11. Faith obeys God in the present. Even when it seems humanly impossible. Because it trusts God's promises in the future. Faith obeys God in the present. Even when it seems humanly impossible. Because it trusts God and his promises that will be carried out in the future. May we be this type of people. May you be like walking around in May and someone go, you're so like focused on the end of all things and it's like you just have this joy that's unshakable. I'm mean, like, yep, I do. Let me tell you about this great God who's given me this great hope that I can walk my faith in. So where is your faith today? Do you meet to see or do you have a long-term view of how Christ fulfills all things. I pray we would encourage each other with these words. Let's pray now as we close. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at CalvaryBCMoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.